Russ, do you feel like you wasted the entire season watching the Flyers? All right. I hate you. How many hours do you think? Do you feel like you wasted all those hours? True question. Genuine no. question. Okay. No. Genuinely no. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm positive. I'm I'm like in a spot right now. We're recording Sunday night. Um, I'm I'm at a spot where I was I was riding the the biggest high uh, early in the game and watching the way that that it all fell apart and the way that it did to the team that they lost to. Um, I was really torn up by it. I wasn't necessarily surprised with the outcome. I said uh, on Snow the Goalie with Anthony that I thought the Flyers would lose in six games. I did not expect it to be in the fashion that it was. Um, but as angry as I was, I watched Sean Couturier and Ivan Provorov after the game. They, they asked him about you know what it felt like to... Uh, to be out there and you know was he was he that injured where like shooting wasn't a possibility and he said as long as my arm is attached I was going to play so I'm assuming he had a separated shoulder that they popped back into place and Couturier they finally got it out of him you know what his knee injury was and it turns out that he tore his MCL when he collided with Radko Gudis in practice he played two games with the torn MCL and had five points today so no I don't think it was a waste and I think that those guys going forward as as young leaders on this team like I, it, it's all worth it. So, so, so their heroic heroics um, in quotes, the last two games don't, don't make you feel like the, the three hours times 82 you spent watching them was, was somewhat of a waste. 88. No, of course not. Like, no, there, there's no reason I, I will to say, feel, there's no reason to feel like that. It's see it, here. It, here's my, this is my new barometer on sports. Oh boy. It's going to be controversial. Um, maybe, uh, I don't know if it's just something with age, uh, you know, and again, not that old or, or just having done this. I know Kevin and I and I have talked about this on here. They get a little calloused doing this day in, day out, doing the whole sports thing. And it doesn't change your fandom, but it does uh, elevate the bar for what excites you, because maybe you get to not even so much peek behind the scenes, but day in and day out, you get to live and recognize the patterns of sports and injuries and press releases and playoff slogans and, uh, you know, disappointment and hope and heartbreak. And you see these things time after time. And I honestly think this is why sports talk radio hosts seem, you know, especially the guys that have been around for a while, seem so uh, callous to this stuff. And, you know, you begin to get, I feel like you begin to get a sense of, again, that bar is higher. The bar is for what excites you is just a little bit higher. And, for me, these la- this I'm someone who grew up from the time they got Eric Lindros. Now we skate with 88, 90, what, 92, 93 era, era. You know, as I'm coming of age, 9, 10 years old, myself starting to play hockey, you know, all in on the Flyers from then until basically the Phillies run in 08 when the interest sort of shifted. And then a couple, couple years off the Flyers and right back on for a few years. And I feel like these last five years, though, have just been like it's been a fool's errand to really live and die with the team because at no point have they started the season with what felt like a genuine chance. And these last three years, um, at no point in the season could you really make the case that there was a genuine chance, save for maybe the little hot streak they went on the second half of Hackstall's first year uh, two years ago, three seasons ago now. Um so I, I don't know. Like I, I, I watched the game today. I actually watched the Phillies, and then I put the Flyers on to, to sort of gauge my level of uh, priority. 
and promptly watched the Penguins score three goals. And it's not to take away from anything Provorov did or anything Couturier did. Uh, and quite honestly, they're just outmatched. I don't know if you could really criticize any one specific player or even the coach. They just can't match the firepower of that team. You still continuously, year after year, have a team lacking an adequate second scoring line and good goaltending. And it's just, it's just not going to work till they get that. And I know there's a bunch of contractual reasons and all that. But every time I saw you talk about the Flyers and talk about, you know, sitting through every game, and I thought, man, like, like why? Like, like what is the end game in this? This, this is the end game watching them get embarrassed again to the Penguins and lose in a, you know, a frustratingly heartbreaking fashion when it would have just been easier had they gone quietly into the night on, on Friday. So I don't know. That's why I asked that question. I'm not trying to bang on the Flyers. I was, I was genuinely curious because the Phils, quite honestly, the Phils have felt like that for four or five seasons now. And this year, all of a sudden, we have real baseball to watch. Um, are you watching? I'm getting there now that the Flyers are out. I mean, I'll say this. I I don't agree with you at all. Um, I I know that they didn't have a chance, but I would would, uh, posit to you that I would then be remiss if if I didn't, I guess, go after this notion that just because a team didn't have a chance doesn't mean that you don't have the the right to to live and die with their, their games. I mean, like I would... I would ask you, do you think that the 2010, 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 Philadelphia Eagles were worth living and dying with? They were never, you know, they were never really contenders. Uh, The only year that that I guess we could even have argued that they maybe were was the year that uh, Foles went on the 27-2 run with Chip Kelly, and it really felt like, you know, maybe they would be able to catch teams off guard in the playoffs and, and make a deep run. But other than that, like, there, there wasn't a moment, I don't think, since Donovan McNabb was quarterback and that like maybe the 04 team that you could have realistically said, you know, this is a team worth dying, you know, dying with every game. And I know that the Eagles are different. I know that with only 16 games, it's different. But, you know, I, I think yep. the like and maybe this is a, a bad comparison. Maybe I should have gone with process Sixers on this, although I think process Sixers are way too far in a different direction. Maybe Agreed. you may, you know, maybe you can make the case that with the Phillies, I don't know, starting in like 2012, when it was clear that things were about to, to hit the skids, like was it worth living and dying with them through like even 11 in the playoffs into 12, well, 13, yeah. 14, like in the aftermath, like was it worth still living and dying with them expecting, you know, old vets to, I don't know, rekindle that magic one last time before that core had to move on? Like, I don't know. Well, hold on. You asked two good questions. I'll I'll give you the point on your point is well taken on the Eagles. I would argue slightly that they they had a chance in 08 when they went to the NFC Championship game. I would argue they had a chance when they got hot. Did I go back that far? I don't know. Did I? Well, yeah, you said, you know, it's not since 2004. So they did get to the NFC Championship one more time with McNabb in 08, the 08-09 season. Uh, so it was technically in January of 09. Yeah. The a year or two later with, you know, they had that team with Vic that got into the playoffs. And, yeah, they weren't true contenders. But they, you know, they, you know, f- as we've seen in football, wild card teams can take the Super Bowl. And um, that's what I was saying. And then 13, 13 I, I get was the year 13, that I thought they had. That that's they not the year I was talking shot. about. I was talking about no, no, 2010, 2011. When they 13, they Rita's, legit Rita's coach, had a yeah. shot. They finished very strong. Uh, and for, 14 is the year that everyone seems to forget around here. They were, when Nick Foles went out, they were, I believe, 5-1. and one, And they were in a position after the Thanksgiving game in Dallas to not only take the division, but play for a bye and then with Mark Sanchez, they promptly shit the bed. I believe there were losses to the, I want to say the Cardinals, the Seahawks, the 
uh, Cowboys. I might be getting my disappointing December's mixed up there, but they promptly shit the bed. But they were they were very and didn't make the playoffs despite having a ten and six record. But I mean, they were they shit the bed and ended ten and six. Um, that was a team that I actually thought was kind of shaping up to feel like this year's team. You lose the starting quarterback for a few games, you don't miss a beat. Um, you know, they they were playing out of their fighting weight those seasons more so than this year's team. But um, was also the year that Mark Sanchez led the team in passing. Co- correct. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, Foles I mean, went like down. After, yeah, Foles went down. Yeah, and yeah. He he came in. But yeah, I mean, I that's just uh, that's an aside. I feel like that is such a season that. Uh, people in Philly overlook because that was shaping out to be really good and turned out to be really disappointing. And even this year's Eagles team, like we, we, no one actually thought they had a Super Bowl chance going. Even in October, we were fooling ourselves. So uh, it's not that you you can't invest in a team because a, a lot of times anything could happen. And in football, you can go from bad to great in one year. We saw the Rams do it. I, football seems like a sport more than any other. There's so many injuries. Uh, l- lifespans of most players and position players are so short, especially linemen, important players, that you, you could reload two spots and, and change your whole roster, change a coordinator, change a coach. Um, you know, you don't need the wholesale program change you do in some other sports with a coach, you know, the way you might in, in hockey or basketball. Um, I just feel like the Flyers have just been so aggressively mediocre and in, in, um, uh, intentionally mediocre with Hextall. And I get why he has to do it. I get that he's, he's still trying to undo Paul Holmgren's doings. And there's only so much you could do with Giroux and Simmons and Voracek and Couturier, you know, all set aside Couturier, you know, all guys who are good players in their own right, but, you know, as a core of a team, clearly it's not working. (laughs) Clearly they've won one playoff series, this group in six, what, six seasons now. Uh, Clearly there are issues with that. Um, So that's all. That's my only point. It just feels like at no point could you have said, okay, this, and yes, they have young players, but I don't even feel like they're truly building an identity. Whereas even with the Sixers starting... 36 months ago, you could start to say, here's Embiid, and, you know, we have Simmons. Obviously, he got hurt. But, like, you got Covington. At least you could see them build, starting the building blocks and an identity and a style of play that they were building, both as on and off the court, you know, a branding identity and a team identity. It's the Flyers, I hate to say it, That's... without Ed Snyder, it does feel like they are rudderless. It feels like as an organization, like the whole, the whole product of the Flyers has become stale. The whole experience, the whole franchise, and and certainly the on ice, um, you know, outcome. And that's not to say they don't have some great young talent, um, but you don't know if the coach is going to be here. You really don't know what their guiding light is. When you know, whereas with the Sixers, you always knew exactly what it was. I I do think it's kind of uh, misguided to argue that we could see from the start of what the process was, what the end goal was going to be in terms of the direction of the team and the style of the team. Now, Brett Brown had always kind of put into place that he wanted to play fast. He wanted to uh, have the team complete a lot of passes. He wanted to get away from the long two, which is an inefficient shot, and work more out of the post and work more from beyond the arc because that's where the league is trending. So so that part, okay, don't, I understand. Don't key too uh, much on that specific. Don't, don't key on, the one, on one of the parts of your argument. So no, but, there, but with the, pr- so the process was different because it was a aggre- it was to be aggressively bad and really no yeah, one was to, expected to, try to, to land, watch to the try to land in. transcendent pa- yeah to try to correct land, no one was rent, expected to watch land them. generational like, we were just talents. expected to yeah. be like 
come back in two years and talk to us. And only the why, hardcore you know, like, of the with, hardcore with even Covington, like, attention. The, the Covington part of what you said, like, makes sense to a point. But, like, in the midst of watching a guy like Covington, like, at the same time, you were watching a guy like KJ McDaniels thinking, well, well, you know, maybe there's a chance that this guy ends up being something. And, and like, then they traded him away because of, you know, off-court stuff, whatever. And if you go back to Michael Carter-Williams, you still had players you're like okay is this the guy is this the guy and it's fine well i mean those like guys turned it, out to not can, be the guy but, but you were you were yeah, constantly like you saying hey is this but it that's is why i'm it? saying you could you could do that with the flyers right now but not really you, you they could, lucked into nolan patrick but like you you have they lucked into nolan patrick it wasn't really part of the plan okay but provorov and katuria are going to lead this team into the next the next generation whatever that is and as is connect as is goss despair like that is a good young core to build around the the kind of passing shot that you took at like the uh, Giroux, Voracek, even Simmons, although I think Simmons kind of is on the outer edge of that core. That's not a shot. And, and they're the fact, not good enough to be a core of a team. It's they're not just that they're not, not. It's not that it's just them though, Kyle. Like this team, the way that it's constructed, there are massive deficiencies. You probably in this series were rolling out two legitimate lines. That on that's any, my point. That, You're proving my point. I'm not. No, but no, no, no. Because what you're saying is that this core isn't good enough to win. This core isn't good enough to win when there's only two lines. I mean, Sidney Crosby, Sidney Crosby's team is not just two lines, Kyle. They're three lines deep. Okay, they're, even their fourth me, line makes solid clarify. contributions. Let me clarify because yeah. I think you're putting words in my mouth a little bit. Um, my point is, I, none of them are bad play. I mean, that, that's not what I'm saying. I don't want it to come across that way. My point is, they are not good enough to be the core of a of a team that contends. That is my point. That each of those guys could be a top line player, and I'm going to circle back to your Konechny point here. Each of those guys could absolutely be a top line player on any contending team. My point is, you can't necessarily have those guys along with Katuria, and I'll include him in this as good as he is, as good as he's been this season. You can't have any those four guys essentially be your your four best players. Each of them's kind of had like at least one amazing season. And Giroux, would he for for him to able to be able to come back at this point in his career and have and have one hundred two points? Uh, no, it absolutely. was his best year. It was one hundred two uh, points. He terrific. beat his previous high by nine. Okay, in a okay. regular season. Yeah, like terrific. Well, Couturier has turned himself into an an actual goal score. Yeah, no doubt about it. But clearly, their ceiling is not good enough. You know, like I would compare this group to forget about style play and all that, Andre Iguodala, okay? Whereas Iguodala is clearly an outstanding role player and and probably more than that on a dominant Golden State Warriors team. You know, I don't, I think, you know, seeing Iguodala come off the bench for them a few years, you know, like in in earnest, then obviously won finals MVP, but he's like their fifth option. Um you know, that's an extreme because there's not many teams in sports ever that will exist like the Warriors. But the point is, here's a guy who was the best player on the Sixers and their ceiling was second round of the playoffs and they needed help to get there. Whereas you put him on a real team and not only is he flourish, you know, he flourishes as not being the star. So while yes, he could technically be the best player on some teams, that's not a contending team. And that's kind of the point I'm making with these these Flyers players. And I get why they're here. I get why they're, you know, they have restrictive deals. You know, Giroux is a no trade clause so it, it is what it is and he had a great season my point is their great seasons are not good enough to be the best players on your team and I feel you know throughout time Flyers fans it feels like more than any other fan base and I include myself in this you know I remember you know loving uh, 
wanting Justin Williams to be that guy. Now, as it turns out, he's turned out to have a fabulous career. But the point is, you know, Flyers fans always tend to overvalue successful young players, and we we give them this ceiling. We say, oh, he's going to be a top-line guy. Okay, you know, he's going to be a, a, a D1 defenseman. Okay, what does that really mean in the in the context of the league, though? Like, yes, they're good. Yes, they're nice players. And I'm not I'm not really passing judgment on Konechny here because, again, haven't paid close enough attention. So I'm actually asking you, is he truly good enough to be a top 20 player? We've seen young players come into this league and have more success at this age than Konechny has. And to be one of the best players in the league, you know, compare that to Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. You know, when you're talking about guys who can become truly great, you see that in the first two years. And I get that Provorov is young, Konechny is young, and Ghost, I think, probably is going to, you know, probably has a lower ceiling. You know, he's, he's someone who seems like probably going to peak a little early, and that's fine. He's going to be a terrific player, and he is a terrific player. But, you know, there's a difference between greatness and really good. And I feel like we don't know. I'd say Provorov is probably the guy who has the one shot at truly becoming great. I don't think you can include Contourier in that. I think he's going to be a very good player for a long time. He's already been a good player for a long time. But his ceiling is not that high. Uh, he's been in the league long enough now where, yeah, I don't think you can constantly, like, judge him on ceiling. Um, you know, Konechny, maybe. We don't know. But... That's kind of my point here. It's like we really, you know, with the Sixers, you knew with Embiid. With the Eagles, you knew with Wentz. Uh, Carson and that's Wentz the was, problem. Carson Wentz that's was the, the number one pick in the NFL draft. Joel Embiid was the consensus number one pick until he got hurt. Nolan Patrick Ben Simmons. Was, ben Simmons was. Hold on. Ben Simmons was the number one pick in that draft. You're talking about two leagues where rookies who are drafted high typically make an immediate impact. Hockey is not that sport. Typically in hockey, it takes you a few years of playing in juniors or of playing in the AHL before you move up. The fact that Nolan Patrick made the team out of camp is is, is definitely a, a plus. Konechny's in his second year in the league. He nearly doubled his points. Um, who who so, was the like, leading for, scorer in the league last year? In what? The NHL? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, right, go ahead and Google it. Uh, this year, it was Connor McDavid with 108. So, like, here's where I think you're misguided so if the argument is that Giroux and Voracek and Couturier can't be a core, but do you get my point Connor McDavid's 21 years old like do you like, get and that's not yeah I know he's a generational like, talent like, Kyle he was Russ, the guy who was he was being compared to Sidney Crosby he was supposed to be the next guy so yeah and he was also a guy who like the entirety of his junior career was slotted to be the number one pick in the draft just like like Crosby was I like I, I think I understand to some extent what you're saying but like Right, those my, guys my, were the top picks in their draft. Like, of course they're supposed to be good. None of these guys. Giroux was not the number one overall pick, nor was Voracek, nor right, was right, Couturier. Right. For a team that has been six years now in in thick morass of mediocre mediocrity that the Flyers have been, and to come out on the other side and maybe really only say Provorov is the one guy who can become truly great out of that group, truly, truly great, like perennial Hall of um, All-Star, maybe at the end of his career, Hall of Fame potential. Like, that's what you need to come out of these things with. And yeah, I get it. Wentz was the second pick. Embiid was, would have been the consensus first. Nolan Patrick is a number one, number two pick. But I don't think we're sitting here saying... 
I know it's early, but this is a league where guys can come in and be dominant from their first or second year, and we really truly haven't seen that from any of the Flyers. So I'm not knocking them. I don't want it to come across that way, but I think it's it's you know mildly disappointing to not be sitting here to only hear you say like, "Hey, connecting be a top line player." Like, you have any truly what great? You're doing, and the answer is probably not. The difference is. That this team is essentially in the same sort of phase that that Andre Iguodala team that you like to reference or that you referenced earlier was in. And it's really hard to come out with a transcendent talent or even a top 10 guy when you are constantly in that, that middle of the pack. And that's my so like, hey, bingo. Like, that's my, Kyle, that's like, a lot of at the same problem time, with the Flyers right now. Which is fine. But yeah. the, the fact that they've come out with guys that are going to potentially be good top of the line talent when they've been stuck in this middle of the pack, is saying something. The Sixers but weren't able to... is that good top-of-the-line well, talent because ever that's going not to be what good the enough Sixers, to Kyle, that, that wasn't what the Sixers were able to do when they were stuck in the middle of the pack. Okay, so let's say that, that we want to go with like the narrative of they lucked into Nolan Patrick at number two. The Sixers got the number two pick and, and had Evan Turner, right? And that was a terrible draft. Uh like they they've each had if we're if we're going to compare this time so like let's say the 08 sixers to like what the the 2012 sixers or something you're, like you're looking that. too much at the comparison here you're looking Why? too much I, at the... i'm saying if no because you, if i get their different no, because situations. if you're if you're looking to build a team and you are stuck in the middle of the pack the best you can hope for is that you either get lucky and get a, a lottery pick which both teams did if we're comparing timelines uh while you had high high uh high value or high priced vets mixed in like i would say that the flyers at this point in where they are are better off than where that like 08 to 2012 sixers team was now i i still am going to have an issue just whether it's semantics or whatever Giroux finished second in the league in points this year the problem with this team kyle isn't necessarily that Giroux isn't good enough or that voracek isn't good enough it's you know part of it is on hextall and part of it is on hackstall when you have a team that rolls out lines that feature Yori Laterra and you had such a, a poor lack of depth that Val Filpola is your number one center after Couturier tore his MCL, like that is not a team that's going to be able to contend. I don't care if Sidney Crosby's on this team, Kyle. They're not going to be able to to you know win a Stanley Cup. You could have put Connor McDavid on this team. They weren't going to win a cup. It doesn't it like honestly, you could have had like these three guys were the top scoring line in the game for most of the year. And they are potentially, like theoretically, if you had filled in a decent team around them, they very well could have, you know, made a deep run. But the problem is, and and like this is where I think it's unfair, and I know what you're trying to say. I agree with everything you, you're saying like, here, by the you way. Could, you, you could have a damn good top three, a really elite. I mean, between Gossespair and Provorov, they were, I think, the top defensive pairing in terms of driving play in the offensive zone throughout the season. Like, they were an elite defensive pairing. But at the same time, you have a coach who insisted on rolling out Brandon Manning. He, at one point, put Johnny Oduya out there. You had um, Andrew McDonald for a lot of the season as a top pair guy until they finally, you know, he pulled his head out of his rear and put Ghost and Provorov together. It's really hard to overcome the choices that a GM and a coach make. So I don't think in this case, like last year when both Voracek and Giroux had terrible years, I mean, they looked like they were going to be like albatross times two between the cap hit that they were going to cost and the the poor output they, they had. Like, I think this is a totally valid argument last year. But we saw that this year, if you put 
at least kind of decent guys around them uh, at certain points in the year. That was when Konechny was on the top line. Um, right, but where does that get them is, is my point. It doesn't and get them that far, but, part further, of it, exactly. but, it's not, but it's not that these guys couldn't be the core of a contender. It's they uh, could be the core, but they look, need other pieces. If okay. you're only... My point is, for years now, the fl- you need you need some of that scoring um, depth to be balanced between multiple lines, and you need more you need more than just I. You could take any one of these guys and say they've had really good years. They score a lot. The problem is that it's it's not enough, and they can't. I think you need a slightly higher, truly elite level talent, and forget about one year's points scoring or whatever. Yes, Sidney Crosby's a generational player, but. You need someone like the Kings had a couple of years ago where they had Kopitar and Carter who could just fill the net. You need someone like, whether it's Crosby or Malkin or Connor McDavid or an Austin Matthews, like each, you, I don't think any of the guys on the Flyers are as good as any of those guys I just mentioned at, when they're at their best. And No, of course, not, they're, right. no they're not. There is no waste uh, with this team making the playoffs, they got blown out in all of their losses. I mean, this is a this is the more concerning thing with Dave Haxtell. You know, I think it was going into game. I want to say going into game five, his teams had been outscored thirty to three uh, in losses in his career as Flyers coach, which is disgraceful. And like, even if you look at today, the scoreline is a little bit skewed, but not really. Um, you know, it, it's this is maybe the only time that they've been truly competitive for two periods and a loss where there was still, you know, this this high score. Uh, Norvith wasn't good. And he also left his back post wide open. Like, on But think about how goals. low but, the bar is but, where you're calling no, that success for being competitive. For well, two what periods. I'm saying. So if, if the Flyers had lost to Washington or some other team who was kind of like this weird middling group. Then, like that would have been a that would have been totally different. This is an acceptable loss. You hate seeing them get blown out. You hate seeing the way that the wheels fell off. But there are plenty of, of positives to take away from it for the future with this young group. Now, the rest of it kind of we have to see where it falls, and we have to see how they rebuild for next year. And honestly, I don't think this is the coach, and yeah, that no. that to me is part of the problem too. Right, and this, and and that's I think is a good way to put a bow on it because I I agree with everything you said, and I think that. Um, you know, it comes back to my initial question, <laughs> which is, do you feel like you kind of wasted time? Because it's not, yes, there's a handful of guys here. You say, okay, Provorov, Ghost, Couturier, Konechny, all these guys could make up a future iteration of the team that could be really good, um, legitimately. Whereas with the Phillies, three, you know, the Phillies I'm talking about, three, four years put, ago. And I would even put like Sandheim and a couple of the guys oh, they have the minors like yeah, in, but in, I that, don't know. in that same group. Like, Okay, but okay, what, whatever the case. The point is, you know, the group of Giroux and Simmons and Voracek are probably not going to be here for whatever eventual run this team goes to make. Simmons might even be gone next year. So you are right. Right. And, you know, so the and that's, you know, in the comparison, the Sixers, regardless of whether they got shellacked by a mediocre team this year or not. You could say, okay, well, we we have spent all year and parts of last year watching our developing core that could that could truly we could say with absolute confidence can contend for a championship. And with the Phillies right now, I think for the first time in 
um, since this this re, you know rebuild they've undertaken, we can now see the pieces who are here for the future. It's Nola, it's Hoskins, it's Kingery, and so on. Like whereas you know we had these little flashes of guys along the way. You know the, even the Darren Ruffs of the world who never really like we wanted those to be the guys, but they weren't. Um, we now see the guys. It's very clear. Uh, you know J.P. Crawford, Nick Williams. I mean, we could you could argue that. 80% of the guys I just named will be part of whatever run the Phillies can make. And you're saying that they might be those good enough. T- what? <laughs> those last two that you mentioned are kind of iffy to, they are to, iffy. Tie, and to, tie, to tie the uh, tie the. You're, uh, you're right. They are, you're right. They are iffy. And I would actually Crawford's say. Crawford's had a really awful start to his year. And Nick Williams, I would actually you know, say they are closer and... to the previous. I would actually say they're closer to the previous mindset where it's like, is this the guy? Is this the guy? Whereas you're now seeing Hoskins and Kingery and Nola and those guys are, are the obvious are the obvious answers. Um, the Sixers have those obvious answers. The Eagles and Wentz had that obvious answer. Whereas the Flyers, yes, you got Provorov. Well, hold on a second. I, I know where you're going, but real quick on the Phillies. So when you look at Hoskins, when you look at who, all right, who are the top five guys on the Phillies right now? Nola, Hoskins. Are we including, well, I'd probably include, oh, you'd have to like, include Let's Arietta. go go younger, go, go younger guys, I guess. Okay, so we'll set aside Arietta. Yeah. I mean, if am I ranking them? No, no, no. It just, just give me the top five. Like five, okay. five best players, no order. Hoskins, right? Hoskins. Nola. This is a tough question because you want to put Kingery in there, but is he, is he the top five well, best player today? Say that you project him out. Say you project him out okay, as, yeah. as as a core piece that you think is going to be one of their best players. Okay. I, so Hoskins, Hoskins Nola, Kingery, Nola, Kingery. Um, it's tough. I mean, do you want to... had a good start. I don't know if I would go with him. Do you want to put him in there? Do you want to put is, Crawford is in Dubal? there? Like, well, that's see, Dubal's okay. a so, weird question. So, yeah. He feels like someone who who should be here for the long run, but it feels like there are always a, like a, a conspiring force working against him. But yes, I would so absolutely let me, put him in that list, and I'd put Arietta there today, of course. So then let you know, me you, spin, put Carl, you could let arguably spin. put Carlos Santana there, even though he sucked so far this year. But he's not he's not a young guy. No, so let's let's flip this back around then to a point that you would ask about the Flyers. Do you see any of these guys? Maybe Noel is the one. Do you see any of these guys as being a top ten guy in the sport? Even a top fifteen guy in the sport? Like give them give it like two years. Are any of them top fifteen? Uh, I think Noel contends for a Cy Young. He, he certainly in the could. next two years or like sure, just in I, general in his career could okay this year but yeah I mean I, I he think he's definitely good enough I think Reese Hoskins everything I've seen from Reese Hoskins I know people want to constantly say um you know okay we're not what he did last year is not sustainable and so on he is such a he has such incredible command of the strike zone um I think Hoskins could content you know be in top five MVP sort of sort of candidate um by the time his career is over, you Kingery, think he's going to be top five. I mean, the consensus on Kingery is, you know, he could be, he could be, you know, I mean, what, Dustin Pedroia. They said he's Pedroia, but potentially better than than Pedroia. These guys have very high ceilings, and oh, by the way, you know, it's early, but they're fourteen and seven, and you know, it, it's looking like they could legit be in the mix for a, a playoff spot this year, which is it's more difficult to make the playoffs in baseball than hockey, and you know, that's also something to remember. So let me, this is where I, I think you might be a little bit too homerish. So I, I don't necessarily know if right now, if any of those guys, well, I'll, I'll give you Nola. Nola, I think is going to be the Provorov. He's the guy that right now is a young player. You can likely see being 
top whatever at his position and and maybe in like the top 10 top 15 in the league by the time it's all said and done but these other guys Hoskins who I think is a, a really good young player uh would I compare him to Chris Bryant no I wouldn't nor would I compare like a I don't know pick your poison Konechny your Nolan Patrick's I wouldn't compare them to Connor McDavid either so like where I see the potential for there to be good young players I think you can just as easily flip this script back around and say that yeah there are guys who could potentially go on to do great things in their career but none of them right now are you know transcendent talents can I just pause you hold on but I do want to pause you on the Chris Bryant comparison since the start of last year Hoskins has a better on uh, certainly a better slugging percentage and a better OPS than Brian has had over the last two years, and his on base percentage last year was only of 396 was only uh, uh, was a little bit below uh, a little bit below Brian's last year, which was 409. So I, I don't think that is reasonably fair. He absolutely uh, could compare to him, considering as though his his key metrics for what he does are are better than Brian's, and he's in his first two years in the league. I know that might not be sustainable. I know that isn't a huge sample size. His OPS right now is 1.127. That is insane. I think he's, and no, listen, I think, further, he's, I think he's great. Beyond just I'm the just, metrics, yeah. I mean, his and it's not just his power. His command of the strike zone is, really, it's incredible for, for, a, for a guy his age. It's truly incredible. He's awesome. I mean, it has I'm, almost I'm, as I'm many not, strikeouts as he I'm has walks, which is crazy. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly not looking to debate that. I'm just asking. strikeouts. Just based on, you know, I, I think it's fair to kind of go back and forth between those two teams because we compared them as well. Like hockey and baseball, I think, are a lot more comparable when it comes to young players because both sports typically require guys to have a couple of years in the minor leagues of, of their respective sports before they make an immediate impact. And and like that's I think that's where it gets frustrating because those two sports I can see lined up against each other and I can I can look at the career trajectory based on their time in in juniors or in the minor leagues and then kind of project forward where they're going to be as a pro I think people a lot of times like to compare the Sixers and the Flyers because they both happen to play at the same time of year and they have the same amount of games and they play in the same arena but they're really not comparable sports when it comes to young players making an immediate impact which again is why I said like the the NFL I think lines up a lot better with the NBA um, because typically guys who are drafted in the top five, top 10 are expected to make an immediate impact. So, yep. you know, I I think that's where fans who are typically not, uh, I hate using like four for four, but like fans who do who do not necessarily live and die or watch every game of, of each sport kind of tend to, to miss the mark on comparisons between sports. Yeah, I, and I wasn't trying to compare players to player. I was trying to compare the, the sentiment. And again, back to, and we could, put a let's move on from this the whole question was if and when the flyers do really step on the gas and move forward and truly contend um you're going to see a much different image of the team than you are right now whereas yeah with the sixers as role players but like we still don't know what that image we can't really project what the image of the flyers will be you know you could sit here and say oh connect could be a top line guy but he's expendable like you know i'm talking Maybe the best way to describe this would be: Are you how many guys are you sitting down and watching that are non-expendable in this quest to become great? And maybe it's Provorov, and you know Provorov and Ghost, and, probably and Patrick, probably Patrick because he was a high draft pick. But I, you know, I, as much as I like Ghost, I feel like his skill set is the sort of thing that teams 
would covet and you'd be able to get a lot for in a trade. I'm not suggesting sure. they trade him. I love him, but I love his game. I love he's my favorite player to watch play on the team right now, and it's not even close. Um, but I do think like that is a more expendable skill set because it's something that's a little bit sexier. You know, his ability with the puck and he's questionable defensively. And, you know, there's all these philosophies about building a team is, you know, do you want to have a guy like that? Or do you want to have, you know, a, a more reliable defenseman? What style do you want to play? But yeah, I think so, he answered a lot of those questions. This I, week, agree. I agree. Although I agree. Like a lot of that also, a lot of that also happens when you've got a guy like Provorov, who's a, an incredible, you know, he's, he's way beyond his years. He's, he's essentially absolutely. Ben Simmons. You watch yeah. that guy play and it, and it does not look like somebody who's, you know, got any less than six years as a pro. Fair Why don't we talk about the Sixers? And he's probably we, the only one where you could say that. Yeah. Oh, how about the Phillies? Have you not been watching? I haven't. And and I hate saying that. I hate admitting it because, you know, in all the years of listening to sports talk radio, I would get so angry at, at the hosts because I was like, this is your job. Like, you should be watching these games. And if, you know, in all honesty, if I weren't working a, a job for, you know, eight to 10 hours a day, um, I probably would spend the time to sit down and watch all these games. And, you know, admittedly, the early season stretch that the Phillies had did not make me uh, want to, you know, put down the remote and, uh, you know, hone in on them and, and not watch the Flyers and or the Sixers. But they're 13-3 and three in their last 16 games, and all of Gabe Kapler's computer, you know, computations that he's come up with, the lineup changes, the way that he's using his bullpen, the fact that he's actually letting his starters go a little bit longer into games, and the fact that like guys like Pavetta have, I, I, you know, I, I don't know enough about Pavetta going into the season to say that it came out of nowhere, but I don't remember Panetta's name or P- uh, Pavetta's name like being right up there with Nolas. He's played really, really well. He's pitched very well. Vince Velasquez, who's always been unreliable, has seemed to have kind of found himself at least a bit there there are guys that certainly seem to be hitting above their weight right now which is awesome like things are clicking and they're they're a worthwhile team there was a good situation in today's game that i think really showed um you know gabe kapler as a manager it's fifth inning phillies are down at that point uh two nothing pavetta giving up a two-run home run um there's a runner on first and there's one out and the pitcher is batting what do 98% of major, any, almost any manager, but major league managers do? Down two runs, middle of the game. His pitch count was fine. He given up a two-run home run. It was a close game. Man on first, fifth inning, one out. Every every manager in existence bunts there. Every single one. Vetta comes up. He's staring place. down a third base coach. First pitch he takes. Staring down a third base coach. I think it was his second pitch. Swings away. Swings away, ropes a triple off the chalk down 300 feet down the right field line. Uh, uh, not triple, excuse me, double down the right field line. Run scores. He then gets on second. Uh, he takes third on a wild pitch and then scores on a sacrifice fly. Now, that is a situation created solely out of your manager hashtag being bold. Now, I don't know exactly what the metric is behind that other than maybe he just thinks he's a good enough hitter and he wanted him to swing away in that situation because it was more than a one-run game. But whatever it is, and, and and Mike Schmidt, who, you know, occasionally drifts in and out of the broadcast while he seems to be, you know, dozing off, I think it was he or Ben Davis mentioned right after the play. Well, that's a situation you normally bunt in. Like, they were so dumbfounded that they didn't bunt, that it took them until after the play happened to be like, wait a minute, was he just swinging away there? 
I mean, that's a capitalism, and in this case, it paid off. Now, when it doesn't pay off and he strikes out, you know, there could potentially be a situation for, for booing. Uh, but I think those are the sorts of calculated risks that you're going to see more and more out of the Phillies. And for people who are just now coming around to the Phillies, hey, they're good, I'm going to start watching, be prepared to accept that calculated risk. Um, I think base, you know, baseball... I, I would liken it to Doug Peterson going forward on fourth down so much. It's uncomfortable when you see it because when it backfires, it looks really bad. And people write posts like fourth, fourth dumb and eight like I did. And, and maybe that one was dumb. But the point is sometimes when you take those risks, your reward is so much higher than the downside. And you saw that with Kapler today. And I think people who haven't been paying attention are going to come and not only are you going to see a different sport and curious moves, you're going to see more risks taken. And it's kind of fun when they pay off. And sure enough, they, the game wound up going to extras, and they won an 11, 3-2. Um, they're exciting to watch. They run the bases. They try and take the extra bag. And it's not just the Larry Boa, we're going to run harder than them you know, mantra. There's actual sort of strategy behind it. Um, sometimes they're fun they to watch. Herrera runs in at the base instead of sliding and gets himself. Sometimes, sometimes yeah. Reese Hoskins today goes to slide and trips himself up and nearly shattered, uh, nearly broke his leg, um, which was a scary thing to see. He's fine, um, you know, it, whatever. But uh, they're fun to watch. I'm all in. I've all I've wanted these last five years. Baseball has kind of always been my number one sport. Um, these last That's five hockey. years. <laughs> I thought hockey was at some point. <laughs> hockey was at some point. Hockey, hockey's my number one sport. When I talk about hockey, baseball's my number one sport. When we get to the Sixers a little bit later, basketball's <laughs> always been my best sport. I would love it. Number one, always the best. <laughs> when it's Eagle season, Fair. let me tell you, football's always been my favorite sport. Fair enough. Fair if, enough. If uh, we got Chris on here and he talked about lacrosse, it would be like... Fair enough. Uh, no, let's be honest. Nobody, nobody likes lacrosse enough for it to be their, their number fair, one sport. Fair, fair enough. Says you the know, soccer gun, guy. Gun to head, yeah, favorite ahead. sport. It, my answer always probably would have been baseball. I got... My favorite team was the Flyers for a good 10 to 12 years. And a lot of that was just because they were good and competitive those years and the Phillies sucked. I mean this the Flyers were good in the late nineties and early two thousands during a time when the Phillies were absolutely dreadful. Um regardless, it is nice to see that we have a baseball team finally worth watching. And we thought maybe two years ago we had it. And then we realized no they actually kind of suck. But they had that little stretch in May. I don't think that's what this is. Like, yeah, they're not going to sweep every series and win seven in a row all the time, or whatever it is. And they're not a you know they're not they're not going to double their uh, double their losses with wins. But I mean, this is definitely a five hundred or better team that we could probably expect to be in the wild card hunt into September. And I think that's all you can ask right now. Baseball, if nothing else, is a great summer night soundtrack. Background noise, always on. There's nothing better throughout the course of a summer than being able every night to have the TV on. Hey, what's the score of the game? I want to sit down and watch the last three innings. No matter what you're doing, you go out to dinner, you're at a party, wherever it is, you're at a bar. If, if, it, if it feels like it matters, and for five years, the games after like the first week have not felt like they've mattered, and you couldn't identify really one player other than maybe Nola for the last couple of years who you actually thought would be around in two years anyway, um, so th- I, that's why I'm excited about the Phillies and, and feel differently about the Flyers because it's like you can identify players that are here and, oh, by the way, you have this great summer soundtrack that is back and might actually mean something on a team that could go to the playoffs. If they get good pitching, they can absolutely go to the playoffs. 
Um, so I'm all in on the fills. I hope you are. I hope. Well, it's interesting because uh, I'm looking back at the predictions post from uh, the beginning of the season, and you're consistent. You said that they would win 80 games, and you think that it was uh, they would potentially fight for a wild card spot. Uh, I'm looking to see what Bob said. Bob said 83 and 79. Anthony, I don't know where Anthony was at. I don't think he actually gave. Oh no, yeah, he did. 85 and 77. He was the uh, the high man, I think. I said 82 and 80. Uh, anyway, I don't want to get into to everybody's yeah. prediction, but uh, it looked like most of us had them being somewhere around 500 and potentially fighting for a wild card wild card spot. And you know, and I think that's part of why. Uh, yeah, and and it, it it's interesting. I I'm very like you look at the competition that they're going up against right now, and now on this 13 and three stretch, like they've faced the likes of Cincinnati and Pittsburgh and um, they just swept uh, Miami, the Pirates, who were 12 but, and. 12 and 7 or 12 and 6 coming into the series. They're that they're that good this year. See, I'm not I'm I'm just back out of baseball. They're 12 and 10. Um which, you know, they're a 500 club. They just last took four year, straight. Wasn't wasn't last year coming into Wasn't last series. year terrible for Pittsburgh? Am I, I am I wrong? I don't remember. I don't, I don't know. Remember. I don't know either. Um but, you know, they haven't been going up against like world beaters here in this stretch, but they've been able to pull out wins and ultimately like uh, that isn't meant to be a slight either. It's just, you know, uh, if I think if, if you see them go out and be competitive against, um, I don't know, like the Nationals who are supposed to win your division, I think that'll be something to kind of hang your hat on. We've also seen them, you know, get blown up by a crap team like Atlanta. So, you know, they're they're going to be a team that I think is going to be exciting when they're when they're at their highest. They're going to be really exciting to watch when they hit their lows, when they hit, you know, a stretch where they go up against a couple of bottom dweller or basement dwellers and they, you know, manage to lose two out of three. They're going to be frustrated and people are going to kind of turn on Kapler again. But uh, I'm wondering now again next week. That's I'm kind of wondering, though, Kyle, like. You know, the fire Brett Brown people kind of fled to the fire Kapler. Now that Kapler's good, or I guess they're back to going to fire Hackstall. But now that the Flyers are out, like, where are the fire, uh, insert coach's name here, going to go? Is that going to be, like, if the Sixers fall behind to Boston or Milwaukee, whoever they play in the next round? Like, is that one? Are they going to migrate back to fire Brett Brown? Like, I, I don't know where you go at this point. You know, at, at some point, things are going well enough that, you know, you shouldn't be pining for the firing of every coach in the city. But... You know, it's Philadelphia, so we always have to for somebody. I'm just, I'm, I'm a little bit, a little bit confused. All these people who hated Kapler, and I was confused by Kapler in the beginning of the year. Uh, it doesn't seem like they're all out uh, calling for his job right now. And I guess yeah, that's look, what hap- was, I, I that's what winning, was... winning cures all ills, right? Oh, absolutely. And I thought it was foolish for anyone who did call for his job. I mean, we we criticized him very hard, uh, and he deserves to be criticized. And someone tweeted today. I don't know if it's something I had written. But they said. You know, they were mocking someone, I guess, on our site. Maybe it was me who wrote, he deserved to be booed at opening day. Um, And I think that's reasonable. A boo doesn't mean, you know, people have to understand, I think most of our listeners probably do, in Philly, a boo doesn't mean that we hate you, you're dead to us. It means you did something we didn't like, and we're going to express that. Sometimes it means we hate you, you're dead to us, but not always. And I think he deserved to be booed for that. I think his... His the way he handled opening day, not having a pitcher prepared, and then his answers after it were deserving of a boo. It, it, he he treated he patronized a fan base that it does not take well to being patronized, and you know we 
put up or shut up. And you can't come out there as, as true as it could turn out to be and say we might make the playoffs after you can't execute a pitching change. I thought all those boos were fair and all the criticism was fair. Calling for his job, however, was not fair after three baseball games. And they're not always going to be this good. And having your pitcher swing away with a man on first and one out is not always going to work out. So there's going to be times where there's this ebb and, or ebb and flow or push and pull with the analytics and the metrics and all that. But uh, you know what? Like, I've thought since the day they got him, this could be – this is this is the, exactly the kind of risks he's going to take on the field. You're, it's a swing for the – the fences where it could be a roaring success where you have a truly unique individual or it could be Chip Kelly and it all goes up in flames and after the first week it looked like it could genuinely go sideways before the season was over. It still might. I think that there's much less of a chance of that happening now. But I think this is a calculated risk from a team that understands now that to be great, you have to take these calculated risks. And um, and and that's fine. That's how you're successful in life and in business and all of that. You know, you... You, you take a risk that you can manage the downside and hope that the upside is is everything you wanted and more. And that's what going for it on fourth down is. That's what um, swinging away with the pitcher is. That's what, quite frankly, hiring Gabe Kapler was. So, yeah, I think those people uh, are not around, and, and they shouldn't have been around in the first place. And I don't think they're going – no one's going back to Brett Brown right now. But, uh, yeah. Doesn't mean we're not allowed to criticize people. You're still allowed. That's fine. People make mistakes. Coaches make mistakes. I think Brett Brown was slow to adapt in game two. You know, but that's okay. Did you like his response to the um, uh, the question that Jason Stark had asked in an article about the booing? And uh, I don't know if you saw the quote. I didn't read it. I didn't subscribe for two forty nine a month for the first six months. Yeah, today only, only today, but also tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. And oh, by the way, the next day we don't. We don't. No, by the way, you know we don't hate those ads, but we. We have a Facebook we don't have ads, campaign. But we send you forty emails a day, and every single writer, you know, continues to. to and we target the shit out of you on Facebook. Forty percent, and we have an ongoing often. Facebook campaign that says "Sale ends tonight," but it's going every day. The sale doesn't actually end; it just ends. Tonight. We just added Bill the uh, Mailman thirty percent off only today. And I'm a writer. And I'm a writer, and I don't want to be involved with business. I want to get the ads out of the way, and I just want to be able to write. But oh, by the way, I have to tweet. Half once. of my timeline half on of my, my timeline half of my tweets are forty percent off. Thank you, promotional. Sorry. But wait, there's more. <laughs> I have not only, the record. Not only, not only can you listen to this, and not only can you read this, but you can also, um, you know, go read someone else's stuff. And and believe it or not, tomorrow they're going to hire somebody else who uh, was working a job as a pool uh, pool cleaner. And that guy is going to be able to get you 25% off, but only for the next three days until they hire another pool cleaner. (laughs) To be clear, I have no problem. I have no problem with what The Athletic is doing. I think it is smart. I think the subscription model for certain types of contents works. Oh, by the way, as I've told you, and I think some of the guys know, like I'm helping a couple of other guys, uh, uh, Raiders Snake Pit and Bill Williamson, football writers, build and run their own subscription sites through a side project I'm doing. Like I think it's a good idea. Um, But I I find the... And they have good writers. Like that's, that. you know, I whenever... Anytime you or I say anything about anybody who happens to write for The Athletic on this podcast, there's at least like three people on Twitter who are like, you guys are just, you know, and they, they, they like, I don't know what they think. But like, I read some of those people's stuff. Like, I, I, I still like reading 
some of the guys who like uh, write about the Sixers. I still enjoy some of the analytics stuff from hockey. Like they have good people. I would be fine with them doing what they do, but don't continue to like boast the fact that yes. there's no advertisements. There's none of this. There's none of that. When like every day it feels like my Twitter feed is just full of once in a lifetime opportunity, 25% off, 30% off, 40% off. We just added this guy. We added this person who you used to read for a major sports outlet, 30% off only today. It's like, guys, it's all crap. I mean, it's, it's like when I was a little kid and you would go to Value City or Boscov's and it was like, here's 30% off in store today. Well, is it really 30% off or Shout is that what Value the price City. Nice. Or, yeah, or like, is that the price? I'm not going to be able to say it now because I'm, I'm being taken back to like buying Fila sneakers instead of, you know, Nike uh, back because they were red, white and blue. And I loved America because I grew up in Schuylkill Armors. County uh, that didn't exist. And, um, you know, at some point you look at the tag and you're like, I don't think this was ever like, I don't think these sketchers were ever really $80. I think they were whatever this sale price is. And you just tacked on like another 60% to the former, like the regular price, you know? And, and like, that's that I have to assume that's what they're doing, right? Like they figured out whatever the price point is. And they feel that like, whatever they say, the sale price is the 30% off or whatever is still like 10% higher than what they thought to you know the original price point is to break even although in fairness the way that they're growing and everything and the way that they're scaling this thing out i don't think is sustainable i'm mr you know this isn't sustainable but like in fairness at some point that bubble is going to burst and a lot of people are going to be out of jobs and it's not just me like there are people who have you know thrown this opinion out there who write for reputable places uh and i don't think they're necessarily jealous of it they're they have brought in plenty of great writers and i would never say that they haven't but like at some point if and when that bubble bursts and these people are out of jobs you know they're gonna have to go where kyle they're gonna probably have to go back to those newspapers that the athletic founders said they're going to that that are you know going to bleed dry until their papers fold like at some point something is going to happen unless unless i'm just wrong and it is entirely possible but i i don't see it as being something where they're ever going to get their money back be able to pay their investors back maybe i'm wrong Couple, a couple be. of things. Yeah, I got a couple of points to touch on there. I, I think you hit the nail on the head pretty much. Um, it, it is, it's not what they do is great. Uh, I think the model is. I'll, I'll get to the model in a second. I think the model is good if it's executed correctly. Um, and you're right, the content is good. My problem, my problem with a lot of the people involved with the athletic, setting aside the founders who gave that ridiculous interview in the New York Times and acted like they had just recreated sliced bread when literally all they did was. Uh, not even invent just uh, form uh paying for something <laughs> like it's you know you, you you didn't like reinvent the wheel here you created a subscription site which is fine and you're just aggressively going in that direction also fine my problem is with people who act like they're above the fray they're living in this a lot of the writers especially certain local people like as much as i think derek bodner does a good job uh his initial introduction to that site and some of the emails he sent out and some of his tweet storms have been nauseating because they act like you're completely above the fray like guess what they're just allowing us to write we get to live in this perfect world where we just get to focus on great content and don't have to worry about ads and don't have to worry about the business and the the real world realities of being able to pay to write about sports we just get to write about them and it's great and yeah like part of that's true like they do get to do better content because they don't have to worry about you know clicking the advertising wheel but on the flip side you know all the things they rail against all these guys have to come out and and tweet promotional links and promo codes and and like you said these sort of like 
you know, these sales that feel like a little bit sketchy because something is always on sale and it feels like you're being sold that feedless shoe from the 1990s at Value City. Like, no, you are not above it. Did you're you just, have a Value City near you? I think, you know, it's funny. I drove past near my parents' house last week and there's a giant there now and I was racking my brain to remember what used to be there in Springfield and I think it actually may have been a Value City. So thank yes. you for that because it was bothering you're me. You're welcome. Um, yeah, I'm very appreciative of that. But no, is like, it surprising they, to you that that the malls in Schuylkill County have folded with uh, former anchor stores like Bosco and Value City? It is not. But <sighs> yeah, like I, I rest in peace, Fairlane Village. Rest in peace, Frackville Mall. I feel uh, like it's just these memories. guys. Um, you know, you're you're you still have to deal with these realities. It's just a different reality. It's not an advertising based reality. It's a subscription, and you still have to sell things and send emails and retarget people and advertise to them elsewhere. Like they rail against advertising, but if you click on one of their links ever and then go on Facebook, you're seeing their ads. So it's like just get over yourself. You're doing it different. That's cool. Is if is is it a better experience for the reader? Yeah, if they're paying and they like it, absolutely. But that doesn't mean uh, you're living in like you know this this perfect world. As far as the sustainability of it, uh, yeah, I mean, I, look, they just got like twenty two million more dollars, so whatever runway they have has just been uh, extended big time. Um, but they're also hiring anyone and everyone, and pretty much anyone who will accept the job there, it seems like. And they're opening in cities like Kansas City and all of that. And way back when, I don't know if this is still the case, their founder said they needed 10,000 subscribers in each city to be profitable. And to that point, only one, Toronto, was. Now, Philly is probably a city where they're, if they're not there, they probably will be soon. But like these smaller cities they're opening up in, Cincinnati, I mean... Getting 10,000 people to pay for sports content in a city like Cincinnati could be very tough. And, you know, again, I'm sure they have a very good grasp of the numbers. But the reason... That also has to be before they started adding a lot of these national guys, too. Absolutely. They're paying these guys hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. I mean, these guys are not... Jason Stark and Ken Rosenthal are not cheap. And um, I think the reason you see these sales, besides just, yeah, like the price really isn't the price, is with venture-backed endeavors like that um there's you want to hit your active user and in this case i'm assuming their active user means someone who has given them their credit card the other thing that's good about their model but also a little bit disingenuous is that once they have that credit card there's a real good chance of it renewing whether or not the person actually wants it because you know how many less than 10 i got I got probably a dozen things for less than $7 in my PayPal that, you know, I don't notice. And when I do, it's like more of a hassle to cancel it. So they know that a lot of people do that as well. So that's why they want to get people in because you'll keep turning the crank, which is fine. That's business and it's fine. But, um, you know, I think there's a little bit of pressure to hit these certain metrics and keep pushing that price down so they can go to their investors and say, well, look how many paying subscribers we have. And then, you know, the follow-up question is, okay, well, how much are they paying on average? Is it $8 a month like you advertise or $10? Uh, no, it's it's three fifty. And then, you know, you start doing the math on that. Think about how many subscribers they need to have to, to be not only break even, but, you know, give these investors a return. And and that's where you run into problems. Not saying it's not going to work. I think it could. But, you know, so they have a lot of money, but they're also spending it. Uh, you know, but that's that's a different story. Should we <sighs> talk a little bit better? Hey, by quick? the way, hold on, hold on a second. I, w- I was going to say, like you were saying that they'll hire anybody who wants a job. I'm wondering when they're going to hire Ryan Lawrence because he um, continues to go at it with people who write for uh, Crossing Broad on Twitter. I didn't see and this. At some Sum- point, summarize it. Yeah, so he, um, he went back and forth with Anthony 
because the the take was the one like Anthony long yeah, real reporter we have. Yep. Not knocking so Kevin, Ant- but Anthony's been covering the Flyers. Anthony's for years. been doing it for a yeah. long, yeah. long time. So, uh, not to make him sound old, um, but Anthony had tweeted out a picture of a section lower bowl in the um, uh, Wells Fargo Center, showing that there were a lot of empty seats for Game Six today, and you know, essentially commenting, "This is what happens with the secondary ticket market." Uh, his exact tweet: "I see it. I'm empty reading. seats. Yeah. Empty seats for a playoff game in Philadelphia continues to show how secondary ticketing market is a detriment to sports. Real fans would kill to fill those seats. Similar clusters elsewhere in the building, but keep letting brokers buy in bulk, and you get this. That to me, uh, there there are two things with this. When I was watching Game Four of Miami and Philly uh, in the uh, Eastern Conference playoffs in NBA." you can't help but notice that it sounded and it felt like an empty arena in Miami. And part of that, I think, is because Miami fans aren't real fans. Um, part of that is also because, uh, you know, you've got nice days and there are beaches in Miami and do you really want to be inside to watch your team likely lose to the Sixers? Probably not. But this Flyers thing was really jarring to me. Um, it felt like on TV, the crowd was quiet. Now, early on when things were going well and they went up one nothing, it was loud. And then it kind of, you know, resorted back to the way that a lot of Flyers games end up being, which is, you know, the crowd goes deathly silent. And a lot of that, I, I often argue, is because just the, the cost of tickets in general, I think, are too much. But on the secondary market, I agree with Anthony. Secondary market, like, because of these brokers and because of people who buy tickets in bulk, they end up jacking up the cost of the tickets, especially when you're looking at, you know, the the Flyers were fighting for their playoff lives, but they were coming off of an emotional Game 5 win. They jack the prices up too high, and then that, you know, often results in those tickets on the secondary market not dropping at the last minute. Hence, you know, real fans or people who would love to be there can't afford it. I mean, like, if, if I'm looking to go to a game and take my take my kids and, like, go with the wife and everything... And I have to look at, you know, a lower bowl ticket might be like 300, 350. Like, I can't do that per ticket. You know, I'd love to be there. I would certainly scream the entire time. Like, those are the kind of fans that you want to have for home ice advantage. But, you know, when you've got some hedge fund guy, you know, buying 15 tickets in a section and then trying to, you know, make another, you know, bang for his buck for, you know, 300, 350, even 250 for a lower bowl seat, like, you're not going to be able to sell them. And to them, like, what the hell, you know, what's the difference? I mean, $200 a ticket, you know, whatever. You probably paid, what, $150, $170 per ticket uh, face value for those seats. Like, to them, it doesn't mean anything. But to a a fan who wants to go and support their team, you're priced out. So Ryan Lawrence kind of went back to him, you know, is the secondary ticket market a detriment, yada, 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 saying that, like, he had gone last minute to... uh, to buy tickets and was able to find affordable ones. I mean, that's regular season games and they were about a 500 team all year. So like none of that is entirely surprising, but you know, I think Anthony was mostly pointing this out based on the playoff attendance. And then Ryan Lawrence said that, you know, it's easy for Anthony to complain about those things because he doesn't have to pay to be at the games. And that to me, like I, I, I sat back and I, I was re rereading these tweets three, four, five times just to see like, am I out of my mind? Am I, am I misreading what he's writing? Um, and this is just a, a point again where I think Anthony kind of handled it the right way, but you know, trying to run with this like nonsense narrative that um, beat writers can complain about this stuff because they don't have to pay for the tickets is nonsensical, and I I just don't get it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, the I, I notion know. of criticizing a guy who covers a sport who also used to work for the team, so he's seen both sides for commenting on the fan dynamic and what the fans pay. I mean, that's a part of your job. I mean, if, all, all, arguably. 
that sort of thing is more important than fans than what he's going to write about the game. Get it? You know, because that that is something directly affects their pocketbook and or pocketbook. Why did I say that? Wallet. Um, but. Yeah, his so pocketbook. Were you in England recently? Were you so excited that the Eagles are playing in London against the Jacksonville Jaguars? And no, but it was I, announced by JHI that now you're calling it a pocketbook. That's totally legitimate. Um, I I, th- I think the rest of what Ryan's comeback was was fine. I didn't have any issue with with their exchange. I could see both sides of this. Um, you know, the secondary market is good and bad, and it's beginning. The the key thing to know is it's beginning to blur with the first theory, <laughs> the original market, um, you know, look at the Sixers partnership with StubHub where they put their single game inventory right on there along with secondary seats. You don't know what's what. The prices are, are ever changing. You can combine tickets I'm selling with tickets directly from the Sixers. You can do four and they're two and two. I mean, it's free market. I think it, ultimately it works. It helps more than it hurts. The broker thing is a problem teams have been trying to deal with for years because on one hand, a team with a high demand of tickets doesn't need or want brokers because especially now, like the Sixers, they can put their own seats on StubHub and get the, the, get the surcharge and they can cut out the middleman. However, brokers also serve a service for teams where they buy bulk tickets and guarantee them sales. And while generally I think teams probably dislike um, brokers, you know, Teams do use liquidation channels. I was talking with Jesse uh, Lawrence, who's the CEO of Ticket IQ. We've worked with them forever. Uh, we're going to be doing some more stuff with them here soon. Um, you know, they used to be a liquidation channel for teams like the Phillies and Flyers. They might still might be, um, where if those teams needed to sell tickets, they would work with their deal sites that Ticket IQ and others offered up to give people like, you know, 50% off seats and you'd buy them like hotels.com or hotwire where you knew the general vicinity of the seats, but you didn't know exactly where until after you paid. And that was kind of the trade off for getting the good discount. Um, so, you know, there's kind of a love hate with the secondary market for teams. And I think people like the Sixers and Chris Heck have figured out that, um, you know, if you marry the two together, you could probably get the best of both worlds. Usually I'd say fans come out on top. Um, you know, we were able to get pretty good lower level seats for game two in the Cadillac grill area for the Sixers. I'm guessing the price was a little bit above face value, but not much. Um, went to the opener this year against the Celtics sat in the second level. And I think we got them at or below face value. Yeah, you got yours for like, I think 40 or 50. Yeah. I paid like, I think 10 or $15 more. And I was in lower bowl right below you. And, and yeah, like, you're right. The, the tickets are, you know, somewhere around the face value. Which I think, like maybe that was Ryan's point, is during the regular season, um, the ticket or no, I guess that was kind of how Anthony kind of flipped it back. Like regular season, the secondary market's kind of on par, but the playoffs is where everything gets jacked up, and like that's. Well, I think what Anthony's saying is it looked to be from these screenshots. Now this just could have been random circumstance, but I it probably wasn't. You know, there were two full empty rows in the middle of the first level, and that looked like so and so had access to these seats. Didn't really. W- care to t- sell them at a loss or bother to change the price and then they just go completely unsold and you have an empty row um so th- yeah there's something to that too there's a downside um so yeah it's, it's probably a good debate and something you know i i we should probably do on a future podcast like really look into the 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 ups and downs of this because that's really something i had never actually thought of that much about how you could potentially have empty rows if you just have a broker who I don't know, forgets to change the price and, and, you know, keep up with market value and it goes unsold or, or mis- I mean, misjudges Kyle, to, the value, I should say. I don't know where this ranks against, you know, um, 
typical Miami Heat prices, but looking at StubHub for Game 6, which they won't have to go to. Um, game 6, you know, even if you're looking anywhere near center court, uh, lower level, you're looking anywhere from like 360 to 478 starting prices. Better upper than level. Sixers. You know, I mean, upper level are okay. They're anywhere from like, I don't know, uh, this looks like 80 to like 115 on the low end. But like, those tickets are way above market value, right? Like $400 for, you Absolutely. know, uh, middle of the lower bowl in Miami. Uh, like that's, I would assume without having the data to go back to uh, what game four was, I would have to assume that if, if those are the prices that I were looking at and I were living in Miami and I weren't from Miami and I were just kind of like uh, a displaced Philly fan or, you know, whatever, like I'm not paying that kind of price. Now I know that that People a lot of will. this is skewed. Like we don't we don't know. Well, apparently not because that Miami crowd was practically non-existent. It's funny when you go with a whiteout and the white the white uh, shirts are still on the chairs in the third quarter. I don't know. I I it, Miami crowds are not uh, there. It's, yeah, it's a different got LeBron dynamic. James, but it's, yeah, look, markets are markets, finals. and yeah, you're gonna get sometimes people who will overcharge and then just are willing to take a loss or not sell. I mean, there's a, but I mean, look, you're you're regardless of how good the fan base is, uh, you're going to get people who are selling tickets for a profit for a business or side gig or whatever. And they're going to set those prices accordingly to what people will pay. And whether it's $400 or $20, you know, the market has a pretty good way of, of, you know, surfacing the, the fair value of that ticket. So I, you know, if, if that's what the price is, that means people are paying it. Uh, you know, occasionally you'll see tickets that are, six thousand dollars courtside and you know are they actually paying that you know it's someone taking a swing and hoping that someone will but generally speaking you see enough tickets that are 450 at center court lower level that's what people are paying and that's that's fine that's you know that's fair market value it's i did a lot of research before we picked up the tickets last week and there's remarkable consistency across StubHub and then also some of the other secondary sites that aren't as partnered with the Sixers, like like Ticket IQ, like uh, Vivid Seats Seat and Seat Geeks. You know, the, the consistency on different seats. A lot of times you see the same seats listed across those sites. Um, for the Sixers game the other night, it was the first time I didn't see that, and I suspect that's because many of the StubHub seats are directly from the Sixers or official Sixers partners or whatever. Um, regardless, same locations and, and rows. Were they higher? Had pretty uh, no, no. That's that's my point. They were okay. different specific seats, but the prices were all pretty uniform across. You know, the the market had been pretty pounded into place. Um, you know, I remember arguing a couple about of that. good. Remember deals back when when they announced that SubHub was going to be their partner, mm-hmm. and I said I was worried about the secondary ticket market and the fact that the Sixers would essentially be able to kind of dictate, you know, way above market value. So I'm glad to hear that they're not doing that good job sixers i don't think they good are. job stuff I, I, it, it's a back box i've talked to them i've talked to chris uh heck about this um you know on background when they first started doing it and you know they swore that wasn't going to be the case and i think it's they've what it, they've done is they've really jacked up you know and, and admittedly jacked up even for season tickets the price of the really good seats the second level seats are still very affordable and I don't think you see extreme price gouging on StubHub. I haven't been able to find any. You know, $400 for a 10th row center court playoff ticket, thats that seems like reasonable market value. It's expensive for a lot of people, but, yeah. you know, there's not that many seats, and, you know, if people are going to pay for it, then that's fine. But, you know, yeah. we were able to get in for a ticket playoff game, lower level, 100 bucks a ticket. That, you, that's not terrible. 
Flyers tickets. Let's talk about the Sixers. Fifteen years ago, used to cost more than that in the lower yeah. level. So, Sixers and and Heat uh, game four, one hundred six, one hundred two. I I know I said this last week. I really I went from not caring much about the Heat to hating them. James Johnson's a thug. I mean, there. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what his deal is. He um, careful. You'll trigger people with that word. These. I days. mean, I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't too surprised to find out that you know he allegedly uh, had beaten and choked his wife. Yeah, I should say he choked. Uh, I'm fine. He's that. just. Um, he he just kind of seems like a nut job. I mean, he he the way that he's gone after Simmons. I know that Simmons rubs guys the wrong way. It's ha- it happened with Morris. It happened with uh, Kyle Lowry. I think there there is a certain level of. Um, feeling of him kind of smelling himself and, and a lot of these vets, especially guys who are grinders, I guess. I guess we would consider Johnson to be one of them. Um, they kind of have an issue with what they, I guess, think is a pretentious Ben Simmons. He's got a quiet confidence. But, but Ben, I, I loved the little scrum that happened. And I think Ben said, like, let's not go there. Let's not go there. And what the way that I was watching Ben not look Johnson in the eyes, the way that he was looking away from him and kind of jawing, that to me, that was the f- maybe not the first time that it's happened with a scrum like that, but that to me was 100% LeBron. And I mean that in a good way. Um, I the, actually the, thought after the way, his... The way that he handled himself was very professional. I can understand why fans of Miami hated the way that Ben Simmons dealt with it. I'm sure there are people who wanted, who were saying, you know, he's, he's a baby. He should have dealt with Johnson, you know, head on. I don't blame Ben Simmons for not wanting to, you know, duke it out with a black belt, but like whatever, you know, to each his own. But I think Ben has kind of handled those sorts of situations pretty well. Although, I mean, if you think that he is kind of snobbish and smells himself, I mean, I I think, you know, watching his body language and everything in those situations, you kind of get that feeling. Or if you believe that, that's how you're going to continue to feel. I I view it as being professional, but, you know, that's me. Yeah, I I actually thought he resembled LeBron after that one dunk where he came down and gave that... You know, that flex? Yeah, the flex. That that felt very LeBron-like. Yeah, he's... he. Look... I don't have that much on game four, if only because to me, what everything we stood said in game three kind of stood here. The Heat's only attempt and chance to win this series is by playing, you know, punk playground ball. They're not, they're just, they know they're not as good as the Sixers and they're trying to junk it up and they're trying to get under their skin and they're trying to get these young guys to break. You had Wade do it to uh, Anderson in game three. You had um, James, uh, it was James Johnson and, uh, yeah. and Ben Simmons. There was another one. There was another set of double technicals. I forget right, what yeah. it was. Yeah, but the point I'll is, the... it's like that's their only way to win, and they're able to keep it close and, and bother the Sixers enough, and then, <laughs> quite frankly, the cream rides to the top. Sixers are better. And they were able to get them in game two because it kind of surprised them and threw them off, and um, they just couldn't quite get over the edge on the comeback. And, and since then, the Sixers have, have pounded them. So... You know, I don't know really what else there is to even say about the game um, other than, like, you know, the, the Sixers are obviously better, but I don't know. I thought they... Sergeant Whiteside, sorry, Sergeant Whiteside in the third quarter yes. was another set of double technicals. Yeah. I, and, I and feel like there have been more... Kicked in the balls more rather t- intentionally, it looked like. There have been more double technicals in this series than I can ever remember a playoff series having. It was it was actually funny. Uh, it's annoying. I, the I dislike... game was yesterday... There was a there was a game yesterday. Oh, it was um, New Orleans. New Orleans against um, Portland. There was a play where there ended up being a double T, and I thought that the announcer was going to say, "Man, you know, this isn't Philly and Miami after all." But like, it's just been so chippy, and it's a good test. I said last week, it's a it's a really I good agree. test for the Sixers 
to see the way that you know Miami's really gummed this up. Uh, Boston, assuming they're able to get through, is going to present a similar kind of challenge mm. defensively, and and they're they are going to want to gum it up in a similar way that Miami does. Um, I, man, though, Giannis, Giannis, right now, now this is where the East being an interesting kind of um, situation. Like these series are all getting tied up. Washington tied up uh, with Toronto today. Um, you've got Milwaukee and Boston are tied. There is a, a path to the NBA Finals where the Sixers have to go up against teams that really only have one legitimate star in Giannis and Victor Oladipo. And if if I'm Brett Brown, I'm salivating at that. If I'm Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, I'm salivating. My be. only hope for the Sixers in Game 5 is go in, get the job done, and make sure no one gets hurt. That I, I said this last week. My biggest concern is a cheap shot. If it's at Embiid, there were a couple issues uh, in game four where Embiid's mask got knocked off, um, and I still think that there's a decent chance that somebody tries to take a a run at Simmons. I wouldn't be surprised if James Johnson is a guy who goes in and, um, you know, takes it a step too far. So I I just want no major injuries to any of our stars. Move on, get the job done, sit back, watch these other teams in the East beat the hell out of each other through six or seven games. And rest up. Get ready for round two. I uh, yeah. I want to go back to what you said um, about it being good for them. Um, I actually think this is, and I don't. Th- I don't think it's even like a take. I mean, these are guys who've never played playoff basketball. Some of them, and they're going to come out of this series uh, in a slugfest. And regardless of what, how there might be a blueprint for slightly more talented teams to beat them. I don't know if you're going to get this level of thuggery from anybody else in the league, quite frankly, because I think there are other teams that have a little bit more self-respect and think they're going to be able to play actual basketball a little bit better than this crazy heat squad. Um, So yes, you know, you might see a blueprint on how to slow the Sixers down and get them into a half court game and then muck it up. But they're probably not going to face anything as tough as this. Someone tweeted me yesterday and compared it to Villanova's game against West Virginia. I, I, as much as I like Villanova comparisons, I think there's something to it for sure. But Villanova, you know, is kind of used to playing that a tough style. Um, that's called a, always been their MO on their J right. The Sixers, you know, re, NBA is a little bit different. They haven't really dealt with it. You don't deal with it that much over the course of regular season. They are tough. I mean, Sharich is tough. Embiid is obviously just tough because he's so huge. Um, you know, Simmons has a sort of quiet toughness. So I'm not worried about that, but uh, this is different because they've really kind of gotten culture shock playing in the heat and they're going to come out of this. And I think any team they play with now, uh, for the remainder of the East, they should, uh, one be better than, and two, they're getting seriously tested They're you know, their restraint and fortitude and playing in close games. So I actually think this is the series, as long as they come out of it in one piece, and there's a legit concern there um, that they could be it could actually prove to be really good for them because they'll get a little bit of a break if they can uh, take it Tuesday night. Yep. Uh, Kyle, two five star reviews. We should hit real quick on our way out. Uh, first one is by Vile underscore Menace, the Bob Cooney of podcasts. Five stars. Good morning, boys. Been a long time listener of the podcast pretty much since the start. Adeline was like Mark's leaving 97.5 morning show. Still five stars, but I miss the Bleacher Report sips. Russ, please don't rage quit over this review. All right, fine. I won't. Uh, the other one by Drink More Yingling. Hey there. Uh, far better than the dredge on Philly Sports Radio. Five stars. Who needs WIP? That's great. That's right. Thank you for the five star reviews. We are over uh, 350 
five-star reviews on iTunes. Keep them coming. If you're new to the show, even if you're not and you just have never left an iTunes review, make sure you leave a five-star rating. If you leave a five-star review, we will read it on the show. And as we continue to look forward this week, the uh, Sixers getting ready for Game 5. That's going to be exciting, and we'll recap on uh, Wednesday. They play Tuesday night. We'll be back Wednesday. Uh, Don't forget, other shows from the Crossing Broad Podcast Network have been up. Crossing Broad FC had one over the weekend. I believe it's always soccer in Philadelphia will as well. If you missed Snow the goalie last week, catch up on that, as well as Crossed Up. Tuesday, uh, Crossed Up will be back. And Snow the goalie, I guess, will be back Thursday, unless Anthony... Uh, really, really wants to record one with me like ASAP. Otherwise, uh, the schedule will be normal. Uh, thanks for listening as always. Follow us on Twitter. Kyle is at Crossing Broad. I am at Joy on Broad. We will talk to you again after a series clinching victory by the Sixers Wednesday. <laughs>